Globally, one in seven of us live with a disability. And of those, 80% are invisible. That is one billion people who are living with a non-visible disability. In some societies, people with disabilities are more likely to experience poverty, live in poor quality or insecure housing, and have less access to education and work opportunities. They're often socially isolated, with fewer opportunities to take part in community life. These gaps can be directly attributed to barriers to accessing health, education, transportation, information and work services, which many of us who are able-bodied take for granted. In the world of work as well, research highlights how misconceptions, lack of representation and taboos are still at play and working against a truly equitable and inclusive workforce. This divide in society often manifests itself in so many ways, including one of society's dependable unifiers, the world of sport. On a global scale, we see our attitudes towards people with disabilities and the divides we create play out through separation. We only have to look to the Olympics and the Paralympics to see the divide in spectators, investment and narrative. But are we seeing a shift? I am delighted to be sitting down with Australian sporting legend Katrina Webb. A Paralympian, Katrina is a global ambassador for the International Paralympic Committee and a huge advocate due to her own experience in dealing with a disability and a deep love of helping others. Katrina has worn a few hats through the years. She's currently in Birmingham, supporting the Australian athletes and staff at the 2022 Commonwealth Games, a Games where we are seeing the largest integration of para-sport in history. Thank you to you for joining me today. I just know how incredibly busy it is for you, Gosh, It has been for the last couple of weeks, no doubt, but especially today as the Commonwealth Games are underway in Birmingham and you are responsible for your big team and contingent. But for you to carve out time for a conversation with me, I'm very, very grateful to you, Katrina. So thank you very much for that. It's wonderful to be here. And uh, I actually just looked at my step count over the last week. I've walked uh, nearly 76 kilometres. I think we've probably averaged that every week for the last three weeks. So been incredibly busy and wonderful to be part of the Commonwealth Games. And and the Games are so lucky to have you, Katrina, because I know this morning when we tried to catch each other, you were busy taking the Victoria team around the Commonwealth Games Village to give them a bit of an insight into what's going to come in four years' time. Absolutely. And yeah, what an exciting opportunity we have to bring the Commonwealth Games to Australia again in 2026. And it was wonderful. Of course, when a Games is on, this is a time for people to be able to see how villages are, are set up and take in all the information they can on the ground. And it, this has been the first Commonwealth Games where we've had quite a few different villages because of the pandemic. They were planning on building a brand new village for the Games, but it didn't get completed in time. So, you know, a few years ago when the pandemic first hit, they decided that they would use already, uh, you know, accommodation that was already existing. Um, so we've been staying at the Warwick University. One of the other villages is in Birmingham. So it's the first time ever that we've had multiple villages and they're going to do the same thing 
in Victoria because the Games is going to be taken to the regions, which is incredibly exciting. So it was wonderful to showcase the village that I've been looking after. We call it CGW, which is the Commonwealth Games Village of Warwick. Right. And we right. had a really good look around to see how how we've set up this this village. We've had about 130 athletes here and so it was wonderful. What I wanted to start with Katrina is your story. You know, when did you realize you were different? It was at age 3 that it was diagnosed that I'd suffered a very mild injury to my brain um which happened in utero. And it was picked up at three because I was limping um, and it wasn't going away. So I knew that, you know, I was different back at age three. I had treatment for it, you know, up until I stopped growing. But I didn't actually find out it was actually a form of cerebral palsy until I was 18. And so, you know, knowing I had something different about me and it being quite mild and difficult for people to see, even as a five-year-old Addie, as I, as I went to school, I knew I was different. And because people couldn't see it, I didn't want to be different. So I actually went home and asked my parents, can we not tell anybody that there is something different about me and can we just keep it our family secret? And then I went about working incredibly hard to make sure that that people wouldn't see it and that I would fit in and be like everybody else. So, yeah, it's an interesting story of difference. And within that difference, you know, incredible opportunities came my way, which has led me to have this role now with the with the Australian Commonwealth Games team. You've just said something, Katrina, which I know in our conversations previously, you know, I've always, you've always left me thinking, which is, and, and I still do, uh, which is why I wanted to ask you this question right away. You've often spoken about this concept of, you know, having a hidden or invisible disability. What does this feel like? What does it exactly mean, you know? in the way you, you've thought about it and you talk about it and you've realised it during the course of your life? It's very interesting. You know, for me, um, along my journey through sport, you know, I, I made it to a very high level in able-bodied sport. I made it to the Australian Institute of Sport as a netballer at the age of 18, hiding that disability. And that year was a significant year for me because one of the coaches who was going to the next Paralympic Games saw me walking around and noticed my cerebral palsy straight away. And that's how I, you know, got the introduction into the Paralympic Games. Yeah, so living with a with a disability that's hidden is a very interesting combination because for me, having cerebral palsy, I feel like my left side of my body, which actually functions as an able-bodied would, I, I get to experience how it feels to be able-bodied and then my right side obviously has cerebral palsy. I, I feel what it's like to not be able to do certain things and so now you know some years later and and having attended six Paralympic Games what, what a gift it's it's enabled me but for a very long time you know when you do have a hidden disability or something that's invisible you know for many of us you make a decision to to hide it because people can't see it and when you can see how people are treated in society that don't have the ability to hide something, particularly when you're a young kid, you, you don't want to be teased or bullied or you just want to be like everybody else. And so there is that point where you think, well, I'll, I'll hide it and I, I won't take my whole self everywhere I go. And uh, for me, you know, I did that for so long. And when I got to the AIS in Canberra in 1995 and I, I found out that I was eligible for the Paralympic Games, you know, I, I spent considerable amount of time making that decision. Do I change, you know, do I change sports? Do I change from being an able-bodied athlete to a para-athlete? 
And when I did that, one of the final questions I asked of myself, which was a big question to ask at age 18, I remember saying to myself, why do I hate being different so much? And I asked that question because I was exhausted. I was exhausted at trying to cover up and hide my difference. And I didn't want to live like that anymore. I just thought this isn't working for me at all because you know, I've got amazing, I've got amazing cognitive, physical, you know, emotional, mental energy to give the give to the world. And I'm wasting it on on trying to be like everybody else. And I remember thinking, if I if I go to a Paralympic Games, not only will I be able to be the best athlete, I can still do sport and be the best athlete I can be. But if I go to a Paralympic Games, I want to learn skills to be able to love that title and that label and be able to celebrate difference and in turn in the future be someone that people can see that if someone does have cerebral palsy like me, that they know that they could still you know, go out there and achieve what they hope to achieve. So it is an interesting space to be in, Addy. One of the hardest questions or comments people make, not many, but I've heard it enough, is when they say to me, but you're not disabled enough. Yeah, yeah. And I still don't I still don't know how to answer that one. And I know it comes from a place of people saying, well, maybe you're lucky or look at you, you look great. I know I'm not able enough. And then when they say you're not disabled enough, you go, well, where do I fit? Am I am I not enough anywhere? Which, you know, it's a it's a difficult question when people say that to you. Such a difficult one, Katrina. And I and I absolutely want to pick up on on what you've just said about, you know, the stigmas, the myths and perceptions around people living living with it. The question I often ask myself is when will the world start to think about uh, many of the conditions that we label as disorders or disabilities being purposeful, you know, rather than rather than not. But can I take you back to something that you've just said? You know, when you've had to face your own criticism, Katrina, as you just said, about not being disabled enough, what do you want people to know, you know, when you had to sort of, you know, hear that and stop and pause at those moments? I think it's it's for people to stop and and actually stop and think just because you can't see something you you have no idea of what's going on behind the scenes and 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 particularly for someone like me that has worked incredibly hard to function as well as I do because I've put so much time and effort into sport but people people can't see I mean I can show people how how my disability affects me. And I, I, I do it normally on stage when I'm speaking to audiences. I'm not afraid to show people, but people making assumptions, right? I think it, it doesn't matter where where we are in, in leadership assumptions, to be able to not make assumptions and not get caught up in your own biases and stereotypes of what, you know, what people may be like if they have a disability. And people listening to this podcast, they might not have ever even thought about what their bias or stereotype typical view of disability looks like until you meet someone and then you're challenged by it (laughs) Um, and you go gee okay I didn't realize I had that you know disability comes in gosh in all shapes and sizes there's so many different types of disabilities you know invisible and not invisible and I was only speaking to some para-athletes at the games here this morning and still getting getting labeled like when you when you're a para-athlete um, or have a disability still being put in one box <laughs> and labelled disability, not people seeing the person. Yeah, and this is at the, at, at the games, Katrina, you're talking about the example that you've just given is 
is is at the games where we are seeing the largest integration, right, of para sport and history, and still that's happening. Oh, absolutely, Addy. You know, the Commonwealth Games are incredible. It's the only event in the world that has has the integration and and it's authentic and it's genuine. And I participated in the Commonwealth Games as an athlete in 2006 and, you know, to be a part of the, the team executive here with the Australian team has been wonderful. You know, it's it's been a great experience and there is, you know, there is still a lot of room for improvement as there's still a cultural shift that needs to happen. There's still day-to-day things that, you know, para-athletes experience. And so it's moving in the right direction, um, which is exciting, and there's you know, there's still an incredible room for improvement. Katrina, I wanted to pick up on something. You just, you talked about, you know, uh, perceptions, you talked about myths, you talked about prejudices. What I find, and this is something I struggle with personally myself, and, you know, it's only when I talk to people like you, I start to get the confidence about, you know, okay, you know, if people genuinely care, then one thing that they have to overcome is fear. Often we see fear get in the way of of wanting to have genuine conversations around disability, fear of seeing the wrong thing. And this, Katrina, often plays out both within the community around things such as labels and also from out. How do you see this play out? Do Do you recognize what I'm saying? Does that feel, does that feel genuine to you? Yeah, absolutely, Addie. And until maybe you've had an experience, whether you've you've parented someone with a disability, whether you have one yourself or a friend, or you're involved in sport and you you get the information and and you know you have the tools, but it 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 doesn't have to be difficult, Addie. You know, if we go back to the simplest, basic rules around working with people with people with disability, they're human beings. So whenever I've been training, you know, working with the Australian team to talk about how, you know, making sure that when we work with our para-athletes that we we treat everyone, every team member, whether you're able-bodied or a para-athlete, exactly the same. So, you know, see the person, not the label. You know, really get there and, and talk to them and ask questions. And if you approach it like that, you, you will do nothing wrong. Some of the things I find maybe where people get frightened is maybe saying the wrong thing or not not wanting to ask. You know, I always come from a lens I'd prefer people to ask from my own lived experience to ask me about it. You know, I will ask other athletes about, you know, their, you know, their journey. Um, people always say no if they don't want to talk about it. Um, in terms of working with a team, in terms of accessibility, if we're going to ask anyone about accessibility, we ask everyone, you know, if we're talking about accessibility, if anyone's got accessibility needs, we ask that of everybody, whether you're able-bodied or para-athlete. So some of those questions need to be, you know, general and broad because many able-bodied athletes might have needs. You know, you extend some of those questions, you know, even broader to say, does anyone have any accessibility needs? Let us know. It doesn't just have to be a question that goes to people with a disability So I think that's really important in that context. And, you know, often I say to people, particularly working in a team and if it's their first time of working with people with disability, don't feel like you need to help people. You might see somebody for the first time, you know, pushing a chair up a hill and they might be struggling. And naturally as human beings we feel like we need to help. And, you know, the first question you ask is, you know, can I assist you? Can I help you? If we see someone who's able-bodied walking up a hill, you don't just go and push them up the hill because you think they need help. So 
they're, they're common sense questions, Patty, but I, I agree with you. People are frightened that they do the wrong thing and they don't know, you know, what to do. But some very simple, you know, skills in that area can really make a difference. And I think the other the other thing, Addy, that that is often forgotten is is to ask. You know, here's an example in terms of when we were looking at the accommodation for our team to come into the village, and people came to me and said, "Katrina, can you sign off on on the accessible accommodation?" And I said, "Sure, but and I will go and ask." the right people who have the lived expertise that can really help me answer that question. And so we see this in many different fields, don't we, that people forget to go and ask the experts and to get the answers that can really help make the difference. So I suppose what you're seeing, Katrina, is you're seeing you're seeing from where you are very much, at the heart of where you are, the conversation is happening. It's it's sort of changing through the years around around disability, around inclusion. You're starting to see a shift, but I'm sure in your quiet moment, Katrina, knowing you who you are and know, knowing how much you how deeply you care about about this issue, I'm sure in your quiet moment you wonder what isn't moving. You know, what more change do you want to see happen? You know, what more conversation do we need to be to be having needing to have? Yeah, Addy, and I I loved what you said before about when will we see disability as you know as purposeful? For me. What I've learned, um, and this is how I have learned to even train my own self to see purpose and to see gifts and to see strengths, is uh, knowing and understanding our human condition is that we're very good at looking for negatives. Our, you know, our mind, our thinking is very good at looking out for potential threats and dangers. We're, we're like Velcro for negative. We can see people's weaknesses so much better than we can their strengths. And I see this play out also in in disability is if you're not aware of this, that's what your mind will do naturally. Now, for me, you know, along my journey, as mentioned, you know, I've I've been living living with a disability now for 45 years, but have been, you know, in a space of attending six Paralympic Games and now two Commonwealth Games. And through my own journey of acceptance and understanding and having the right tools in my kit the strengths I've developed because of my disability are extraordinary. Like I'm an incredibly hard worker because of having cerebral palsy. I'm an excellent problem solver because of it. I can see beauty and difference in others that other people can't see because of having a disability. You know, I've met people here in the Commonwealth Games team, para-athletes I've never met before. When I meet them for the first time, I've trained my own self to go, I wonder what strengths they've developed because of their difference, not despite. Wow. And that's a really powerful place to be. You know, imagine that, you know, mm. when I look into the future, imagine we see we see that, we see humanity, but we also see strengths within difference in the disability movements. That will be a massive cultural change that will then allow people to see, you know, where, you know, employment, people with a disability really struggle with employment because of so many um, barriers around, you know, not seeing their gifts and seeing deficits. So I think, you know, that, that shift, that, that mental shift will make an incredible difference. No, absolutely. I want to come back to this, you know, because I think this conversation, Katrina, is very much around, you know, wanting to give our listeners that hope and that confidence to, to see it as being purposeful. So I will come back to that because I know there's no one better to help frame that for us other than you. But you just raised something which I wanted to pick up on, which is 
how this this is being played out at in, within organizations, you know, at an organizational level. Because I know you have done so much work with a lot of organizations as well. You know, as we know from the data, Katrina, inclusion within organizations is varied, right? At best, some have quiet performative targets or policies, whereas we know others, and you and I both know a few that have been able to make much bigger, deeper strides. What do you think, Katrina, as as someone who sees this through so many different lenses, what do you think organizations need to be doing more of, you know, to move this whole agenda, to move this, to make this genuinely inclusive and to move this forward? I mean, there's so many resources out there too, Addy, that can support this. And I know in Australia, we have incredible organizations that can really help like example in Australia, we have job access that that is their job to provide consultancy plus, you know, a lot of resources for organisations wherever they are on their journey to help employ people with a disability. And in Australia, the, those resources are free and they're incredible. You know, for organisations, you know, firstly, they need to have a look at is it something that they, you know, it's got to be led. It's got to be something that's genuinely want to be led. And the great organisations really then say, we're in, we're in this. We know we might not get it right. We might make mistakes, but it's better that we're in than not actually having these conversations. And then, Addy, you know, I would look whatever country people are listening from, there are fantastic resources. And as I mentioned, organisations that are there with information to, to help people look at look at their whole strategy where the barriers might be, how they can reduce some of those barriers and really help um, educate organisations to become leaders in this space. So, you know, if people are listening going, well, we don't really do much in that space, you know, have a look, look what's available, um, have the conversations. What I think can happen and where maybe where the barrier lies is, is people think or organisations think that they've got to get it 100% right or they look at the most, you know, significant disability that they've got to cater for. Just start, just start. And once you start that conversation and look at, you know, your first action and go for, you know, lower goals to start with, when we even talk about disability being invisible, I know some of the statistics in Australia, around 4.4 million people have a disability 30% have accessibility issues. So some people feel like, oh, we can't open up this conversation because our building's not yet accessible. Down the track, you might get into making those actual physical changes, which is really important. And also when we talk about then 70% of people with with a disability don't have accessibility issues. So, you you know, you don't have to get it absolutely right. Get into the conversation. Find the the organisations in your countries. That are, that, that are experts here that are there willing to help. And they also use different people uh, with lived expertise, who people with disability, um, to really help guide them on those conversations. Mm. You know, Katrina, as you're talking, I was just thinking about, I recall Jeanette Burke's TED Talk on inclusive design. And uh, there's a mention about, there's a key takeaway that people do not design the world with with disability in mind. And often this is what plays out in policy and social structures, et cetera. I mean, just just extending what you just said about organizations needing to be a little bit brave, even if it's not already, you know, still take that first step. What actions could, do you think, you know, individuals, organizations or society can take to start to make that first step, even if it feels like a, Small step, but it's still a step, nevertheless, in trying to change things. 
Yeah. Well, you know, where, where I think where I think the downfall also happens, and we see this happen a lot, Addy, across so many different areas, is we forget to go on the ground and hear the issues and speak to the people that have got the answers for us, and particularly in design. So the first question you can ask yourself whenever you're designing something, you know, does this include everybody? Just keep asking that question. I know every meeting that I've been to over the last couple of years with the Commonwealth Games team is whatever whatever we've discussed, whether it's a new idea or we're, we're having to look at accommodation or team receptions, is, is it accessible? Let's let's ask that question every in every conversation and getting used to asking that question is is really important and it shouldn't just be asked at a at a Commonwealth Games that has para events in it or at the Paralympic Games because what we've found over the years is the legacy that a Paralympic Games leaves a country is enormous when a Games comes into a city um, like obviously Paris coming you know with the Games soon how exciting I know I was there Back in 2009, and Ada, you know I have three sons and my back then my oldest was only, you know, 18 months and we had a pram. Yeah. And as a husband and wife with a baby in a pram, it, Paris was an incredibly inaccessible city. And so what happens when a Paralympic Games goes into a country is you know, the accessibility lens is put on it and not only does it then make a country accessible to people who might use a wheelchair, it also allows a city to be accessible for people using prams. It allows a city to be accessible for people that may have other accessibility needs as they get older. And it is incredible. The impact and the legacy that leaves is, is amazing. So even when I came into this village here, um, um, we were settling in and we were making sure it was scoped out to be accessible. We might not had someone in a wheelchair um, yet to be able to do that, but we could grab a trolley or a pram uh, or something to push to see whether things were accessible. And you, and you just start to see things in a different lens. So I would really encourage people to add that question to, to your kit. Whenever you're planning something, always ask, is this accessible? Is this accessible to everybody with, you know, differing Put things? yourself, you know, through to someone else's, yeah, like you said, lived experience. And it only takes a very simple question to reframe that whole thinking sometimes, doesn't it, Katrina? Absolutely. I was actually speaking about it this morning again. So it's been amazing as the games come to a close, having conversations with some of our, our athletes and our para-athletes. And something was brought up this morning, which I think is incredibly powerful to think about as well, is inclusion is a wonderful thing and i and i feel the com games is doing an a, a fantastic job being a world leader in this space and trying their absolute best and will continue to get better and better at it there's a question to ask further with this conversation is there is inclusion which means yes we're we're in the games or if if companies are looking at including people it, there's a there's a box that gets ticked the next question after inclusion is are you allowing independence Hmm. so you can include people yet they might not be independent and that's not inclusion and and say a bit more about that Katrina because I feel that that's coming from a very very position of conviction for you what does that what does that mean what would you want that to look like when you say independence independence means that that if if you're if you've got an organization or a place that you say is inclusive, 
yes, they'll be um, making sure that people, there's that physical accessibility that they're able to actually get to the heart of where they want to get to. So not separating people into different areas, which often still I've seen here, you'll have an area for accessibility. So people who, who need to have accessibility needs, they're segregated. Um, so they're not sitting in the heart of where the team is. So yes, they're included, but to make sure they stay in that. Um, even a simple example I've heard is there might be disabled toilets, which is fantastic. So that's inclusion. But to be able to use the disabled toilets, you've got to go and ask someone for the key. Ah, okay, right. So you're including us, but now we've, we have to get your, your permission to Dependent allow on someone else. Yeah, to use that locked toilet. So that's, there's no independence. And that's where the barriers then feel like they start to emerge again, isn't it? Yeah. Or it's like you, you I've seen it also where you might have a bus or a, you know, a bus that has a lift on it that enables only one wheelchair user to travel on that bus. There are buses that have more seating for people who use a wheelchair. But then I've also seen that the actual driver doesn't know how to use the lift on the bus. So yes, we're inclusive because we've given you a bus that has an ability for people with a wheelchair, but then we don't actually know how to use it. So <laughs> it's about making sure when you do inclusion that everyone's incredibly well educated so that independence is allowed for everyone in it. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Incredible point. I will something that I will definitely think about, Katrina, when and I'm sort of, you know, thinking about how what what is my role. In, in making an impact on this issue. But I want to pick up on something that you said. I'm so glad you mentioned your three boys because, you know, I have such lovely memories um, of, of meeting them and spending time with them. Delightful three boys, Katrina. But you know what it made me think when you mentioned your three boys, but and also you mentioned about that power of that simple conversation, is for all of us as leaders, you know, responsibility for, for changing things at this scale Often it starts at home, doesn't it? You know, what are we doing at home? What sort of conversations are we having with our family, the next generation at home? Do you, Katrina, have a different conversation with your three boys, with the next generation about these issues? I've often wondered, and I know we've talked about this, but I think it's really important for our listeners to get a bit of, bit of an insight into that sort of, you know, our responsibility in driving some of this change begins at home in some ways. Yeah, uh, Addie, it's a really important one. And it, and it was an interesting one for me as, you know, someone that's been successful as a, you know, as a Paralympian over my career and then working out when was the right time to, uh, you know, to come in and share my story with my boys class because it, even that that's a big thing for my children to be able to have their mum come in and, and, yes, talk about my story and my success as an athlete and share my medals. And also knowing and appreciating that there's another conversation there that I have that is about the fact that their mum, you know, is different, that she has a disability. And then when that conversation happens in their class, you know, making sure that they're old enough to be able to understand what that looks like and have really good conversations. So we've we've had great conversations at home, Addie. I mean, I've 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 actually made sure I've actually presented to all of the kids' classes at the right time. Right. And talking about that bigger picture of of disability, of it being a part of humanity, and I've also I've also been able to reference it in a way that we all have differences, 
And so, you know, often disability, you know, there there can be different levels, but often it is a physical difference. But also as the children are growing up and seeing, um, you know, they can be good at some things and other areas they can be challenged with, you know, I really have this broader conversation around around that and how how disability is a part of humanity and we all have things that you know we develop as our strengths and there's areas that we have to learn to do differently and we have to problem solve so those conversations happen very naturally in our household yeah and I've also been very respectful of of that for them knowing that their mum is a Paralympian and for them to even be able to navigate the conversation at the right age for when they also might have someone come back to them saying, well, what's wrong with her? How, how are they going to be able to um, navigate that conversation? So, yeah, it, it starts at home. And, of course, without words, I'm role modelling it. Yeah. They're seeing. They're seeing me function fully every day at home. They see it, which is which is incredibly, incredibly powerful. Absolutely. And as a mum, uh, Katrina, but also as an athlete, isn't, isn't it? Just, just the way you described it. Yeah. Yes. And of course, they've they've seen disability even at a, a bigger scale than most families, because, you know, a lot of a lot of my friends across the world, you know, have differing abilities. And so uh, we've had great conversations around that. And for them, you know, I, you know, for them, it's just it's natural. I know and I'll never forget this story. One of my other friends shared and he was a wheelchair basketball player and had children. And I one day they were walking in the you know the city mall and some would have been 12 or 13 and and he for the first time in his life he realized that people were staring at his dad <laughs> and he didn't actually understand why <laughs> and i just love that story in a, in a sense i just love it because he his son just just saw his dad yeah yeah. He didn't. He didn't see anything else. Yes. Yeah, and then it was this moment where he finally realised that, oh, this is everyone else is seeing us as different, you know. And and that's what needs to happen, Addie. We need to get. We need to showcase disability everywhere and more often. You know, I love the Paralympic movement. I love Com Games for you know celebrating um, and showcasing all sport. We need to see disability and we need to see success in disability in all all areas of life and we just don't see that enough. And I also am very aware of the fact that through the movement of sport is that this conversation that disability is only celebrated when our athletes are decorated and do the most incredible performances on the sport, you know, on the sporting field and that it shouldn't have to be that way, that you have to win five gold medals to finally be recognised, you know, as a as a productive, inspiring human being. <laughs> and, you know, that that disability is everywhere and you don't have to become a Paralympic triple gold medalist to be accepted in society um, and, and we don't have to be celebrated like that as well. No, and that its true meaning or purpose does not have to be only through the achievement of that gold medal, you know, yeah. in, the, in the context that you've, that you've just described it. Katrina, I'm very conscious of time and I know I bet you'll have to dash very soon. So can I just, just you know, sort of bringing this to a close with you, which, you know, pains me because I want to have this conversation with you for much longer. Do you often wonder, Katrina, what would it look like 
more importantly, feel like to you as someone who's been such a quietly determined campaigner in this, in this, you know, on this issue, if things were good, you know, if we were living in an accessible, safe culture and world, what what does that feel like to you? Do you often wonder? Yeah, it's a good question, Addie, what it would feel like. Um, it would just, you know, for me, there would be a sense of, and I'm I'm thinking for everybody here. So so when you do have a disability and, you know, for me, my disability, you know, you do have to problem solve, you get tired quicker, but I, I can function, as you know, Addie, as a, you know, I have independence in an able-bodied world, which is, which is fantastic. I know for a lot of, a lot of people with disability, they don't have that independence. So you use up, even to get to work, to problem solve how to get somewhere incredible amount of cognitive energy physical energy just to get somewhere is already used so if i take this this you know the vision into if we could allow people with a disability to be able to you know show up without having to go through any hurdles without having to use up their you know their amazing energy just to get somewhere wow what that would feel like you know, you would you you would see people being able to bring their whole self, an incredible amount of energy um, and capability that would, and you know, enable our society even more. Mm. And when you think about that, think about the amount of capability that we're not able to tap into because you know, for a lot of people, it's taking up all of their energy just to get somewhere. And that's where it's getting lost, isn't it? That's where all that capability is getting lost. And, and could you imagine if, imagine how that feels when we allow every human's capability to be seen and heard and to be used. And when you have a disability, the skill set that you develop because of your disability, then you remove the barriers so you can show up with that you know, it, it would be incredibly, it would just be an amazing place to be, you know, so much more innovation, so much more creativity. Yeah, it would be a wonderful place to be. So we will keep working at it, Addy. Um, we will keep advocating, you know, there's incredible opportunity for this conversation. And, you know, more so than ever, I'm so excited about the interest in this space um, and people genuinely wanting to, to, to get on board and find out what they can do. You know, once people do come on board, I know the people that have been involved with even the Commonwealth Games and when they get the experience to be involved in the conversations around leading the whole of humanity and what comes with that, the amount of transformation and growth that happens in humans because of it is is wonderful. So not only do people with disability then get to to reach their full capacity, but so do the able-bodied people or AB people as we talk about it because they get to thrive through that difference as well. Absolutely. And maybe that's the time, uh, Katrina, that, you know, the, the the reference to purpose that both of us sort of, you know, I know feel very strongly about coming at it from very, very different sort of, you know, life and lived experience, of course, is, and, you know, whether it's the label of, of disability or whether it's labels that we put on people because they are from different backgrounds or, you know, people who have a different color of skin or, you know, they're from a different part of the world. Hopefully that's when the world will, you know, think, really think about, you know, the conditions that we label as, as these things are as being genuinely purposeful, right? 
Absolutely. And, you know, and then we have incredible advocates. I mean, you know, I will continue to do that and advocate and a lot of people with a disability advocating and making that incredible change. But imagine if if you didn't have to do that, <laughs> you could actually then, so that your purpose might be to advocate, which is so important and what's needed. And once that's done and we live in a society that is, you know, inclusive of all and allowing that independence of all, then imagine what more purpose we could get to, which would be amazing. Absolutely. Could Fina, one last question before I let you go, because knowing you, and I know you on this one, I know you so well, is that I bet you're leaving, you're going to leave Birmingham soon, the Commonwealth Games, thinking, ah, that's one thing I'm definitely going to do more of, or even less of maybe, you know, as you get back to that on, on, a, on a flight, long flight back to Australia, particularly thinking about, you know, four years on, Victoria will be hosting the Games. What's the one thing that you're leaving with as you're going to leave Birmingham very soon after what has been incredibly successful Commonwealth Games 2022? Oh, good question, Ali. What am I? <laughs> There's a few things that have been, you know, really coming through for me. It's incredibly exciting that 2026, we have the Games in Australia in 2026. And so for me, I to even challenge my own country to really actually get inclusion and independence happening is something I want to see more of. And the learnings that we've had from these games, but also making sure that we follow through and gather the data and speak to our athletes from their experience here of how we can build and grow from what went well and what didn't. Um, And I'm really looking forward to continually advocating so that we really challenge 2026 to to reach a benchmark of inclusion um, and that independence, which is very exciting. What's also really excited me, Addy, here with the first time of being villages, you know, having these um, sub-villages and not one large village, is we've had in, in the village I've been running seven sports here and around 130 people at our maximum. And We've really worked hard on creating an environment and even in our in our setup and our design to create a culture of everyone supporting each other. And it is it has really worked. And normally in a village that I've been a part of and villages pre-pandemic, everyone lives in a village and there's just so many sports and so many people that you, you lose the intimacy. So one of my learnings out of this these games is that we have this village that I've been working with, we've managed to get the right amount of sports and set up to create an incredibly intimate games. And what I've loved about it is the sports have been supporting each other and we've created, you know, this really tight-knit culture and family of success. And I haven't seen that before. So it's really got me thinking in, in a sporting space because the village is so big. So, you know, it's got me thinking about the si- the right size of how groups work together, how you can create culture and getting that right. And there's a certain point where the numbers get too big and you lose it. And we certainly managed to fit the right amount of numbers in here to keep the culture and, and that intimacy for our sports to get to know each other and support each other and, you know, to really make them feel like they're at home. So so they're things that are really that I will go away and process. What am I going to do less of? 
as you know, I'm someone that does take care of my well-being. It's been wonderful to make sure we've got out in the sunshine and to walk a lot. And I managed to fit a yoga a yoga session in with our HQ staff to take care of their well-being as well. So, you know, really important at a games like this. And, I, and, and at a games in a pandemic that we've been through, even when I was an athlete before the pandemic, the hardest thing for athletes is to stay healthy in a village. And, you know, we've managed to get through these games with, you know, our athletes performing really well. And not only is it important for our athletes to stay healthy, but for leaders and for a HQ team to really take care of themselves because they can be, as you know, Addie, incredibly long days. And one of my hacks, which I've probably talked about before I learned as an athlete, was really important on a daily basis to meet with yourself and to take that time to do what re-energizes you in that meeting with yourself so you can actually get through the day and show up as the leader you want to be in all moments because you've taken that time to take care of yourself. As I'm sure you could all tell, I enjoyed every bit of my conversation with Katrina. And to catch her while the Commonwealth Games are underway in Birmingham made it even more special. Whenever I talk to Katrina, I'm always left feeling more empowered to really challenge myself when it comes to finding and working through my own barriers. To really ask myself that question that she challenged all of us to think about. How can we not only be inclusive, but also ensure we create spaces for people to be truly independent? And that one day, the world will start to think about many of the conditions that we label as disorders or disability as being purposeful and powerful. A very special thank you to Katrina Webb for talking to me today and thank you to you, the listener, for joining us. If you did enjoy this episode, please rate it and leave us a review and tell us about a purpose-driven conversation you would like us to have. We look forward to seeing you again very soon.